Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Praise God that He holds us through the night. Maybe you've been there all night long, eyes open, awake with your trouble, your challenge, your difficulty that you're facing at the time. The Father, with the Son, by the Spirit, is with you the whole way, holding you fast in His care. It's what Asaph experienced in Psalm 77. His eyes as he even says in verse 4, feels like his eyes are even being held open by the Father, that the Lord would not calm his trouble. There are times when it feels that way. We endure the night, resting only in the faithful promise of God with the trouble and overwhelm of our souls. This is a psalm of trouble. That word appears three times in the first four verses. Verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. Asaph cries out about his trouble. He even says in verse 3 that he's feeling overwhelmed in his soul because of this trouble. But it's also a psalm where Asaph makes the choice to turn to the Lord and to remember. And that word remember comes up, that same word, three times in verse 3, verse 6, and verse 11. But then other words that represent the idea of remembering, the word meditate, the word think upon, the word talk of, those come up other times as well. And so Asaph uses his alertness through the nights, the fact that he cannot sleep, he uses that time to specifically turn his thoughts to the Lord, to remember what God has done in the past. And that remembrance of God's past redemption carries him through his night of darkness and trouble. And so we find, we learn with Asaph today that when overwhelmed by your troubles, Remember God's powerful salvation. When overwhelmed, like Asaph says in verse 3, remember God's powerful salvation. Asaph will begin thinking about God's works, God's power demonstrated in history, and he'll actually land in, verse, in, the, in the closing verses of the psalm on God's work of parting the Red Sea for the people of Israel. And Asaph remembers it in full color. He, he thinks about the different details. We'll enjoy walking through that portion of the text together. But it's a remembrance of God's redemption, God's salvation of the people of Israel. And not just any salvation, but God's powerful salvation. And by focusing our thoughts on the powerful works of God in our sleepless nights of trouble, we turn our trouble into triumph. We turn our doubts into confidence in the Lord. This is how we find hope when we're struggling in the night. So how, how do we do this? We're going to walk with Asaph through this psalm and watch as things turn around for him. In the first section of the psalm, we're going to see the first way that we begin to make this transition is that we cry out to God in our times of trouble. 
This is a psalm of Asaph we see in the title, and it's actually written to be sung. Once again, Asaph is offering his own story to the people of Israel as something that could be sung as a reminder of how they can respond as well in their time of trouble. And so he's written it to the chief musician, a man named Jeduthun, who we're told in Chronicles was another one of David's song leaders. And so Asaph and Jeduthun, both serving in the temple, leading in worship, are now working together to lead in this song of triumph over trouble through the nights and through the darkness. We read in verses 1 through 3 a number of descriptions of the way that Asaph cried out to God. You see it there in verse 1. In fact, the English translations don't often reflect what's going on in the original text. The phrase, with my voice, you see that twice there in verse 1. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice. You hear the repetition, but that phrase, with my voice, is actually at the start in the place of emphasis. With my voice, I cried to God with my voice. So Asaph is Uh, announcing his cries to God. This is out loud as he prays. And already in verse 1, he's he's confident. The Lord is listening. The Lord has heard him. Verse 2, he cries in the midst of his trouble the same day. So it may have been that earlier that day is when the trouble came and now he's in his sleepless nights following the troublesome day. And he can't rest And that's when he cries out to God, verse 2. He even describes his posture in prayer. He says, my hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. All night long, he's praying, stretching out his hands to God in prayer. He says in verse 3, he remembers God, but this is interesting. We don't see this phrase often in the Psalms. He remembers God and was troubled. And we don't know exactly why that's Asaph's response here as he thinks of the Lord. There could be a number of reasons for it. As he thinks about God, maybe he's troubled because it seems like God's not working. God, where are you in my trouble? And so as he thinks of God, the trouble even grows. It may be that Asaph is struggling with some sin And so he thinks of God and that leads to trouble in his heart because he knows things are not right with God. Maybe you can relate to either one of those scenarios. We don't know exactly, but Asaph thinks of God and it leads to more trouble. He says at the end of verse 3, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. And there's our first Selah. There's our first pause. That's where we stop. The first section of the psalm is right there. Asaph just describes this passionate crying out to God. And a section of scripture like this is helpful to us. Because it reminds us first that God included this in his scriptures for a reason. He wants us to know that even mature believers will go through times of trouble. That it may be part of God's plan and what He allows in our lives that we would go through even a sleepless night crying out to Him. It's not a mistake. God's not being mean. It's part of life in a fallen world. And we can relate to Asaph in his trouble. But this is also helpful because it teaches us how to respond in those times of trouble. 
It teaches us that it's good for us to seek the Lord and to cry out for Him. Long nights are difficult. You could probably think of a number in your life when you couldn't sleep. One that came to my mind was uh, when I was on the road traveling, uh, a ministry team, we were staying in someone's home, and uh, so so I was a guest in an unfamiliar place, and just about bedtime, they they were all going to bed, I was going to bed, my stomach started to feel unsettled. Oh boy, where's this going to go? And so you lay down hoping that it'll just pass and you'll fall asleep and it didn't. The nausea got worse and worse and worse and I won't go into all the details, but I spent a good portion of the night just lying on the bathroom floor. It continued hours and hours and hours and was not stopping. And I, and I began to feel my whole body growing weak, hardly with the strength to get where I needed to go in time. And I was crying out to God. I, I didn't know, you know what was going on, if this was going to pass or what I was supposed to do. And I thought, oh man, how do I, how do I get out of this? You know, at this point, it's three o'clock in the morning, something like that. Uh, well, I, man, I could try to wake the people I'm staying with. What good is that going to do? Maybe they have some medicine. I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I remember debating with that. Do I let them know or do I just tough this out? I tend to be the kind of tough it out sort of guy. Maybe it's a sign of how bad it was. I knocked on their bedroom door at three o'clock in the morning. Silence. Okay. Hey, could you, could you come help me? <laughs> I'm really sorry to wake you up, but I'm not doing well. <laughs> and the, the sleepy homeowner came to the door and like, what? I'm so sorry. I've been sick all night long. I feel like it's getting worse. Do you have anything that could help? Oh, I'm so sorry. And so he gave me some medicine and it just continued on. He ended up taking me to the hospital. By then it was whatever, four o'clock in the morning. And uh, praise God, you know, I got some fluids in me and began recovering. And I'm, I'm fine. I made it. But I remember that hesitancy to cry out. And I remember thinking back on that. It's like, maybe I should have said something at like midnight. You know, why did I wait till three o'clock in the morning? Like go as long as possible before knocking on the door, before crying out to help. Sometimes this is the way we respond with the Lord. We just, I'll go as long as I can. We know that, you know, he's in control and he's there and he may be even in our thoughts, but we're just hesitant to knock on the door and to even say it out loud to him, Father, I'm struggling and I need your help. But this is the right place to turn in our times of trouble, to go to the Lord. And there's even an emphasis in this section of the way that Asaph does it out loud, to, to use your voice to cry to him. It doesn't make your prayers stronger or anything. I, I think for me, it's, it's sometimes just helpful to me to say it out loud. Because it, my thoughts wander off or I, I just think maybe I prayed in my head. Well, I know God is there. That's kind of like a prayer. No, it's different. To say something to him, even out loud if needed. 
There's not always the right context for that, I understand. I found in my car to be a really good place to do that. Who knows what the other drivers think, but... (laughs) But learn to cry out to God in your times of trouble. Part of this is remembering that we should not be alarmed by trouble. The New Testament was clear as well. Jesus was clear to His followers that they would at times bear their cross as they followed Him. Peter writes that we should not be uh, surprised by the fiery trial that comes upon us. This life is not for comfort and pleasure. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't experience comfort or pleasure, but that's not what this life is about, is it? That's the next life, eternal life with the Lord. And so there may be troubles that we face, and it helps to not be surprised by that, to remember Psalms like Psalm 77, which acknowledge that this may happen. And in those times, we are right to cry out to God, to speak to Him, literally out loud if you can, to tell Him your trouble. Get somewhere where you can weep, where you can voice your prayer to Him even loudly, Be persistent. Jesus, in his teaching to his disciples, encouraged them to pray persistently, to keep asking for things. Sometimes we ask God for something once and then we get frustrated if he doesn't give it to us or answer it in the way we wanted. But Jesus taught us that there's value in growing persistence in prayer. Maybe it's what the Lord wants to teach me in my long nights, to be persistent in coming to Him in my trouble. Cry out to God in your times of trouble. As Asaph continues, the the psalm gets even more raw in ways as we approach these questions in verses 7 through 9. And so what we're going to see number two today is that we can bring our questions to God. In order to make this transition from our trouble to a place where we're trusting the Lord The second thing we do is we we bring our questions to God. Trouble always raises questions in our minds. Notice how Asaph describes it beginning in verse 4. He says, you hold my eyelids open. Asaph is acknowledging God's control and sovereignty in the situation. And he feels as if God is literally, you know, holding his eyelids open so he can't sleep. It's the way he feels, at least. I doubt it's what's actually happening. Asaph says, I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. He doesn't even know what to say anymore. Verse 5, he's thought of past days, years of ancient times. He's thinking back to when things were good. And Lord, where did those times go? Things were so happy once, but now I'm in trouble. Verse 6, he remembers a time when he could sing in the night. (laughs) He had a song in his heart on his way to bed. Those times are gone. There's no song now. He meditates in his heart and he searches, verse 6, but he can't seem to find the solution. And so he brings his questions in verses 7 through 9. And these are, these are very structured. I want you to notice how they go from questions of God's favor, verse 7, to questions about God's promise, verse 8, all the way to questions about God's character, verse 9. So verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? The word cast off means to to reject. Will he he reject me? 
forever? Will he be favorable no more? This is almost like, is God just upset with me? Is he no longer favoring me? That's a genuine question in our times of trouble. But verse 8, it gets a little more significant here. Now he's questioning the promise of God. He says in verse 8, has his mercy ceased forever? And the word mercy is the, the Hebrew word said. It's that covenant love of God. Steadfast love is often how we say it here. But it's related to the covenant of God. It's related how God promised that he would be faithful to Israel. And we get that sense of promise in the parallel phrase in verse 8, where Asaph says, has his promise failed forevermore? So now he's questioning the very promise of God. Is his promised love stopping forever? And then in verse 9, he addresses the attributes of God. Has God forgotten to be gracious? There's actually two attributes there. His omniscience, God doesn't forget anything, and his grace. Has God forgotten to be gracious? And then the next phrase, has he in anger shut up his mercies? This is questioning the power of God's mercy, which the testimony of Scripture is that His anger is but for a moment, but His forgiveness is for life. That God's mercy always overcomes His anger. And Asaph is questioning, has His anger overcome His mercy? And so these are raw questions that he brings to the Lord as he wonders as we read them accurately, each of them has this sense of eternality to it. Will God cast me off forever? Has he forgotten his mercy forever? And so we begin to see that as Asaph describes these questions, it becomes clearer that they are a little bit absurd. Well, no. Obviously, God has not cast off forever his people. He's not broken his promises forever. God doesn't operate that way. And what Asaph is doing here is he's creating the tension that we all feel in our times of trouble between our emotions, the perspective we feel in the midst of our trouble, and the truth of God. And when trouble comes, it stretches us like a rubber band between the two. Will I believe what my emotions are telling me? I feel like God's cast me off forever. Or will I believe the truth of His Word, that He's promised His steadfast love, for instance? Right? And so there's this tension, and you feel it in these questions. What's interesting is that I think the questions actually help Asaph in this process. Because what the questions do is he's not just saying, well, what I feel is right and God is, God is just a liar. No, he's turning to God with his questions and he's actually framing the questions in terms of God's truth. And so you feel both present in his questions. I, I know you've said you favor me, but... Have you cast me off forever? I know you've promised steadfast love, but is it gone forever? Right? And so you, you feel both. They're both there. And that, that helps him. Because when we look at the truth about God, we're on the right path. We're beginning to see the absurdity of what our emotions are telling us. As I look back at my life, have my emotions won out as being accurate and true all the time? Or is God's word winning out as accurate and true all the time? Hmm, let's think about that for a moment. Well, God's word has always proved true. 
And time after time, I've been able to see how, oh, yeah, I was emotional there, and I wasn't thinking correctly, and it was inaccurate. And, and so when we frame the question that way, it helps us to see sometimes the absurdity of what we're feeling and asking. And this is what's happening for Asaph. He brings his questions to God, and God makes clear what's going on. It's like wearing glasses. I brought some along somewhere in here. There we go, right? These are my cool shades. You put on sunglasses and something happens to everything you see around you, right? If they're good sunglasses, everything gets darker. (laughs) That's the point. These sunglasses have a bit of a brown hue to them, so they even change the colors of things around me a little bit. And maybe you've had a pair of sunglasses like that, where you you put them on and everything looks a little bit different. The, The lights look a lot more yellow at the moment. You all look great, don't worry, but colors shift a little bit, right? I'm not seeing reality, am I? This is what happens with the emotions of our trouble. Our emotions come in, and our emotions are real, don't get me wrong, but they color our perspective. As we go through trouble, we just happened without knowing it to put on some glasses that sort of darken the room. And so we we squint and we look at, God, where, where is your promised love? Where is your mercy and your kindness? Is it, is it gone forever? I, I can't see it. As Asaph brings these questions to God and, and frames them in terms of God's attributes, it's part of the process in his life of taking the glasses off and stepping back from his emotions and realizing, ah, oh, maybe, maybe my view of things is colored a little bit by where I am right now. I ask it in these terms, and surely God hasn't forgotten to be gracious. (laughs) Surely His steadfast love has not ceased forever. Maybe my perspective is off a little bit. And so bringing these questions to God helps us, in a sense, to take the glasses off. So many times our Relational problems come from our wrong perceptions and false assumptions, our colored view of the world. And asking questions helps to clarify things, to remember God's attributes. When we ask these questions, we are not accusing God. We are not coming to Him and saying, you have done wrong. We're just expressing. And as we express to attach some attribute of God, some truth about Him to that question, Lord, as I go through this, it it seems wrong. I'm having trouble seeing your goodness. Lord, this situation seems so out of control. Where's your power and your sovereignty? God, I feel so alone. Where is your presence? We're not accusing God of wrong, but what we're doing is we're taking what we feel and we're attaching it to some reality about God so that the scales can help us to see. Let's see, which one's truer here? How I feel or God's word? God's truth? Oh, take the glasses off. God's truth. And this is where Asaph goes 
next. He begins to express with more confidence that God has been good. He begins to talk to the Lord in verses 10 through 15. And what we're going to see as we work through these verses is kind of this third step toward turning from our trouble to the Lord in our time of need. We'll see this. We can focus our thoughts on God's powerful works. We can focus our thoughts on God's powerful works. And so we see Asaph taking steps closer to the Lord. He cries out to God. He brings his questions to God. But now he begins to focus on God's powerful works. He says in verse 10, this is my anguish. He's been describing his trouble, his infirmity. The New King James uh, inserts a phrase here. You might have it in italics if you have that translation. But I will remember. That phrase is added. It's related to verse 11. And so it's meant to help us understand what the verse is saying. But it's literally just, this is my anguish. The years of the right hand of the Most High. And to make the verse even more complicated to translate, the word years can also be translated change. And so some of your Bibles might say, the change of the arm, the right arm of the most high. So Asaph is describing what has troubled him, and I think it's that he's at some time seen God's power, God's right hand, God's right arm. He's seen God's power in great ways, but now it seems to have changed. He's not seeing it presently. So he thinks back to the the years of God's strength, and his trouble is that, why am I not seeing it now? He goes on in verse 11, And describes that he will remember the works of the Lord. This is a choice. He makes the decision. I will remember. To make sure the reader understands, he says it twice in verse 11. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. He's thinking back to the works of God. To the wonders that God had done in his life and in the life of Israel. But he's not just remembering. There's our key word. He's not just remembering, but verse 12 tells us that he's also meditating on these things and even talking of God's work. So now his prayer in the night has shifted from crying out to God in anguish and asking questions. And now with the Lord, he's talking of God's works in the past. Father, I remember when you helped me in my life. I remember when you did this. And he's talking of them and meditating on them with the Lord. This leads us then to verses 13 through 15. And I want you to notice how these stand almost parallel to verses 7 through 9. Because in 13 through 15... We have the same number of phrases, statements of confidence in God. It's almost as if these phrases in 13 through 15 are the answers to his question in 7 through 9. Now he's speaking with confidence. Listen to what he says. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary, in the holy place. It means that God's actions, God's path is perfect. It's holy. It cannot be questioned or judged. It's never wrong. It's holy. Then he says, who is so great a God as our God? There's none. God's greatness exceeds them all. And there is no other God. We know that it's not what the verse is teaching. There's other gods. He's just saying that God's greatness exceeds every greatness that exists. 
Then he says in verse 14, you are the God who does wonders. Nobody else, just God. He says, again, you have declared your strength among the people. God's works in the past have shown how God is powerful. Verse 15, you have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. So he closes by remembering how God redeemed Israel in the past. He protected Israel. He's remembering God's wonders and works of old. And it is that very redemption that he refers to in verse 15 that becomes the focus of verses 16 through 20, which we will study in just a little bit. So Asaph focuses his thoughts on God's powerful works. It's like when a child has been injured or or, or alarmed or scared or is reacting in some big way. A parent might go up to the child and kind of get a hold of their face gently. Look at me. Look at me. It's going to be okay. I'm here. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is what Asaph is doing in these verses as he's lifting his eyes from his trouble in 1 through 10. He'd really just been looking down at all of his stuff and the challenges and the trouble and kind of in this spiral downward. But these questions help him to lift his eyes. And now in 10 through 15, his gaze is on the Lord and he remembers, yes, yes, you are the God who does wonders. Whose greatness can compare to yours? Right? He begins to reassure himself as he looks at his God once again and remembers that even now as he faces this trouble in the middle of the night as he can't sleep, God has not changed. Focus your thoughts on God's powerful works. This is where not only do we take the glasses off that have been coloring our view by our emotions, but then we insert our contacts or our corrective lenses so that we can actually begin seeing the world as it truly is. And that always begins with a right view of God. We can't see reality until we know what He's like. And this is what Asaph does. He reminds himself of God's powerful works in the past. (laughs) You created the world. Of course you hold all things in your hands. Your greatness is beyond everything and you're kind and loving. You redeemed your people powerfully out of Egypt. You can do it, Lord. And so we might say to the Father, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know that you know, Father, you know my future. I've seen your goodness in my past. I know that you're in control. And so I will trust you with my tomorrow. I feel alone, Father, but I know your word says that Jesus is with me right now. In fact, Jesus was forsaken so that I would never be forsaken by you. And so help me. Help me to trust you. We focus our thoughts on God's powerful works. In the final section of the psalm, Asaph focuses in on one specific powerful work, the crossing of the Red Sea, and he describes it poetically. And so the fourth thing we're going to think about today is that we can meditate on God's powerful salvation. This is an act of redemption of God. God saves Israel out of Egypt 
And you remember the Red Sea occasion, right? They're running from the armies of Egypt and they're trapped up against the sea on one side and the Egyptian army is on the other side. They're in the position of death. They're going to die, either by drowning in the sea or by being killed by Egypt. There's no hope. God steps in with power. And in this dramatic scene, Moses lifts his staff and the waters part. And the people of Israel walk through on dry ground. And then as Egypt chases them into the waters, God crashes the waves back down upon them. One of the great victories of the Old Testament, the the powerful work of God to save his people. What What could they have done in that situation? Absolutely nothing. And as Asaph meditates on that powerful salvation of God, it's an encouragement to him in his own trouble. Just notice how he describes the scene, this beautiful poetry here. The waters saw you, O God, they saw you and they were afraid. Asaph imagines the water with eyes looking up to their creator. As he, with his voice or whatever God did to part them, move. (laughs) You know, just, okay, you know, the waters part. What a fun imagination of that event. As the waters move at the command of their creator. We saw that in Jesus' life too, didn't we? He says, be still. You know, the power of our God over creation. So, the waters look to the Lord, they, they see God in the heavens and they tremble before him. They're afraid. Verse 17 is so poetic. He, he could have just said, it rained, it thundered, and there was lightning. But listen to what he says instead. The clouds poured out water, the skies sent out a sound, your arrows flashed about. Isn't that great? I just would have said, it rained, it thundered, and it lightninged. But no, it's just so rich. So rich as he, as he meditates on the scene. Asaph wasn't there, but he's thinking back to the stories and the scriptures and the description and just the scene of God's power and the storm as even, I'm sure, Egypt trembled in their boots as they saw the waters part and the rains poured down and the, the lightnings and the thunders at this scene of God's might. Verse 18, the voice of your thunder was in the whirlwinds, the, the wind as it blew in that scene. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. I mean, imagine the feeling of that much water moving. I'm sure you could feel that in the ground. Verse 19, your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. Though they did not see God's footsteps, it was obvious who was doing it. God was moving the water. He had moved through the Red Sea and was leading his people. And as Asaph says in verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Sure, Moses and Aaron were there, but it was obvious who was doing this, who really had his hand out to lead his people. It was God. And as Asaph remembers the powerful salvation of God, he triumphs over his trouble, trusting the Lord calming his fears and doubts as he remembers what his God is like. This is so helpful for us as we seek to overcome our trouble and our doubts. 
to meditate on the work of God's powerful salvation. We know how to meditate on things. We, we know how to imagine. We do this all the time with our worries. <laughs> we imagine all the possible things that could go wrong. We have impressive imaginations. We do this with the things we want. We imagine all the ways our life would be better if I just had this or if this circumstance were different. Well, if that would happen, then this would happen. We we even imagine ourselves omniscient sometimes, don't we? But here we're taught to use that imagination instead to meditate on God's powerful salvation. Oh, that we would dwell and imagine on the gospel the way Asaph meditates on the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, you want to meditate on the Red Sea, that's a great work of salvation to meditate on. And use these verses. I mean, they're so beautiful the way he describes it. But what if we remembered the gospel with this kind of imagination? Is not the gospel more powerful than the Red Sea? Think of it with me. Where were we when God stepped in and sent His Son to save us? We weren't just trapped between Egypt and a Red Sea. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We faced a more sure and eternal death than the Israelites on that day. And it wasn't just a sea between us and our salvation. It was an infinite chasm that kept us from a holy God. Israel thought they were without hope. We were without hope. When God sent Jesus to save us, He didn't just part some waters. He parted the universe as His Son came to earth in the form of a baby. And lived a perfect life without any sin. And then Jesus marched through that chasm. By bearing his cross. And not just the cross, but we were literally on him. When he died for our sins. He bore them all. Not just walking through sand on dry ground. But providing a way for sinners to be brought near to a holy God. Imagine. And so Jesus bore the sins of the whole world, and as we've often pictured before, that cross spans the gap between us in our death and God in His perfect life. And that simply by faith, I mean, it's not not some crazy hurdle to jump through or do this and do this and do that. No, 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 just Trust Him. Just just get up on Jesus' shoulders. (laughs) Just trust Him. Just trust Him. And His provision of salvation. And we're offered eternal life with God's salvation. Talk about powerful salvation. Have you meditated on the riches of the gospel? I wonder if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're still there, trapped between your Egypt and Red Sea, facing sure death because of your sin. Would you trust in Jesus today and gain forgiveness of sins and righteousness from God and 
eternal life with him forevermore. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, would just imagine what God did when he saved you. In your time of trouble, look back to the riches of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself in your times of need. Father, I don't understand why I have this disability or this sickness or this health problem. But I know it's not your wrath. Because you poured out your wrath on your son. Now in him, you've promised to give me everything good. And so I trust you. I trust that you are using this health difficulty for good. Father, my circumstances are really hard. It doesn't feel like you love me anymore. But I know you do. You gave me your son while I was still a sinner. You gave your son for me. I know you love me and that you are with me in this trial. Help me to trust you. Father, I feel distant from you. I I feel so sinful and dirty. But I know that you knew about all my sins when you sent Jesus to die for me. You paid for all of my sins with his blood. Help me to trust your forgiveness and cleansing. Thank you for your love. Father, I don't want to submit to you in this area of my life. What you are asking me seems awful, even impossible. I don't think I can do it, but I know that even my hard-heartedness was paid for on the cross. I know that your plans for me are good because you sent Jesus to die while I was still a sinner. I know that Jesus died so that I could receive your spirit. I feel weak, but I know that I have your spirit and can do what is right with your help. Help me. We begin to frame our troubles in terms of the gospel. As we look to God's powerful work of salvation, it changes the way we view everything. So we take off our emotional troubled view of the world, and we put on in its place gospel lenses, which help us to see the reality of life around us. Friends, I encourage you today to turn from self to God. One of the things about this psalm that I have not pointed out to you yet is the shift from a look to self to a look to God. Commentator William Barrick pointed this out, and I I thought it was so helpful. He actually went through and counted the references to self and compared them to the references to God. In the first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 9, references to self come up 21 times in just nine verses. God is only referenced seven times there in the beginning of the psalm. This is very much about him and what he's facing and Asaph and my troubles and I'm hurting and so on and so forth. But beginning at verse 10 through the end of the psalm, 10 through 20, Self is referred to only 12 times, but God is referenced 26 times. 
The great change in the psalm is that Asaph has lifted his eyes from himself and his own trouble, and now his focus is on the Lord. He's turned his eyes upon his God and God's character and God's help in his time of trouble. Friends, this is where we need to go in our difficulty. In our long nights when we don't know why the trouble is happening. In our trials and in our tribulations when we don't understand and our souls are overwhelmed. Lift your eyes to the Lord. Cry out to Him for help out loud if you need to. Bring Him your questions and frame them in terms of His attributes and begin that process of taking those lenses off that remind you, oh, wait a second, my feelings have failed me in the past. I bet it's God that hasn't changed. (laughs) And then begin focusing your thoughts on His powerful works in the past, the ways that He's shown Himself faithful to you in the past. Oh, Father, thank you for your faithfulness. And then focus most especially with meditation and imagination on God's powerful work of salvation in your life. Whether that's your own salvation where he brought you to faith in Christ, or maybe it's the Red Sea crossing, whatever you want to imagine, but think of God's powerful work of salvation and find that in that process your eyes have lifted from your trouble And you look now to him, and you find that your trouble is turned to triumph. Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for its help to us. We acknowledge that we so often face trouble in our own lives, and we forget the way you have been good and strong and helpful and faithful in the past. And so we confess to you today our need for your help. We cry out to you. In our challenges, in our difficulties, help us to lift our eyes to you, to see again your power, your control, your goodness. May we especially meditate on the truth of the gospel. Pray for those here today that are hurting, questioning, wondering. May gospel truth Bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.